Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Next Cube is launching a $40 million fund that will invest in startups where at least one founder is an HBCU student, alumni, or faculty. It's a slow news cycle for Apple, and we keep getting hit with rumors of new devices, this time a new ultra-high-end iPhone that could make its debut next year. Samsung held its Galaxy Unpack 2023 event last Wednesday. It unveiled iterations to the Galaxy S23 line of phones, as well as three new Galaxy Book laptops. And big tech layoffs are reversing trends in diversity. Women in underrepresented communities are being affected by layoffs at a higher rate than their peers. We've got all this and more for you in Episode 69 of The Tech John. From Columbus, Ohio, I'm your host, Rob Dunwood. And come out of Philly, it's your girl, Tech Life Steph. And out of Atlanta, this is Terrence Gaines, a.k.a. Brother Tech, a.k.a. Why are roofs so expensive? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, it's finally starting to show us age. So I had a guy come out and look at it. He's like, all right, well, we can submit your claim for your insurance. But um, if they don't accept the claim... This is how much it's going to cost. I'm like, yeah, we just going to uh, cross our fingers and uh, say a prayer right quick uh, that <laughs> homeowner insurance covered this because good grief, man. Well, y'all Home ownership is whack. Y- y'all about to get into the, the rainy season here in Georgia, right? So you better wait until you have one of them ridiculous it's, thunderstorms. It's, it's been raining all winter. That's what it does in Atlanta. It don't mm-hmm. snow. It rains. I'm knocking on wood because I'm probably going to have to do this because my roof is 20 years old, but I had to have it replaced three years in and, you know, into having the house just because we had a real, real bad hailstorm, and it did damage and they came out and replaced it. So with it being almost 20 years, I'm just waiting for one of these windstorms to come up and then I will be calling. I don't, you don't have to call them. As soon as a windstorm comes up, they'll come to your house. So that's what I'm waiting on. He's a, yeah. These uh, home home um, repair home uh, companies, home service companies, they 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 make me so angry because <laughs> they um, play they, they how they come to your house. The thing is, yeah, we were we were working on your neighbor's house or we were working on your neighbor's yard, right, right, and and we just thought while we were in the area that we you know I'm like whatever y'all just trying to get around the fact that. In our subdivision, the sign says no soliciting. Mm-hmm. But I, the trick is, um, you have to have the no solicitation thing at your house, not just at the subdivision, for them to honor it. And then even even then, I don't think they'll honor it. It just blows my mind. It just every time they yeah yeah we were working on you. And I'm like, 
what's my neighbor's name? Oh, <laughs> uh, well, you know, well, uh, you know, Jack around the corner. I'm like, you don't know. Bob you know, from accounting. John, <laughs> Bob, <laughs> Mike. <laughs> they, they just go play the averages. I know somebody named Mike lives here, clearly. I, I would respect them if they just like, yo, um, we see your roof. Looks a little worn. It's raggedy as fuck. So you probably need to go ahead and get that handled. (laughs) Right. Here's our card versus, yeah, we were working on neighbors. Like after that, I just go, you're just shut down. So, yo, before we get to our tech stories, I want to let everyone know that you can support the Tech John by becoming a patron over at patreon.com forward slash the Tech John. We've got multiple tiers over there, and any one of them gets you access to our live stream and our after party, where you can watch us record the actual podcast and hang out with us afterwards. So, once again, head over to patreon.com forward slash the Tech John. That is patreon.com forward slash the Tech J-A-W-N. And with that, let's jump into a few of these tech stories. So... Um, Steph, I know you weren't here last week when, when Terrence and I, we talked about just how hard it is for folks who look like us to get, uh, mm-hmm. to, you know, to get VC funding. So because we talked about that last week, I figured that it would, you know, we should go ahead and talk about this next cubed and that's next NEX, not NEXT. Next cubed is launching a $40 million fund for HBCU founders. And uh, Costco actually is one of the anchor investors and they're putting up 5 million alone themselves. And this fund will invest in early stage companies rating pre-seed and seed rounds with a standard initial investment of 120,000. I think the first cohort starts here coming up in, in the spring. Um, they'll be chosen and, and they focus on startups and fintech, digital health, property tech, and ed tech. So I just wanted to get you guys a thought on you know, an actual, you know, up, eventually, hopefully a $40 million fund that's specifically tar- targeting folks out of HBCUs. So is it folks that matriculated at an HBCU, graduated? Students, enrolled? alumni, or faculty, actually, gotcha. is gotcha. I think what the, what the okay. article said. So right. if you've had any sort of connection, legitimate connection, I suppose, with, it, with an HBCU, um, they try and help you out. Um. <laughs> I read this and and I mean it, this is this is great. Don't get me wrong. Let, let me let me preface oh all of this go. by saying this is great. You know, I I will I'm all for, you know, earmarking money because we know how little funding startups by people of color receive. Um, Mm -hmm. And and I also want to preface this by saying, I don't know what the answer to this is. The, 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 the next point I'm going to make. But it, it just, it just fucking sucks that we have to continue to accept crumbs Mm-hmm. And I mean, you know, when you say $40 million, that sounds like a lot of money. Not, not really. But we have to continue to accept. I just, I went on Crunchbase real quick because I was just like, let me just make sure I'm not being unreasonable um, in this. Because we know that, you know, startups with black and brown founders receive less than 1% of, of venture capital money. We, we already know that. Uh, but I just wanted like some data to, to kind of look at what is really happening. And Dreesen has $32.4 billion in like assets and, and, and all their funds and, and everything they do. 32.4 
billion with a B. Mm-hmm. Almost They're, almost ten percent of what is allocated in the U.S. each year, right? Their cultural fund, the the one that like Pharrell is a part of, and you know a bunch of other upwardly mobile black folks that want to do something for the community and for the founders and for da 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 da. da. That fund is called, actually, let me, because I don't want to, like I said, it's called the Cultural Leadership Fund 3. Um, and like I said, Pharrell and like some Blake Griffin is, is a part of this fund and, and, and some other athletes, uh, or whatever are part of this fund has six, $60 million in it. So that's the fun for black people, basically. <laughs> the, 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 the little bit of money that Andreessen earmarked you know or or wanted to be a part of because you know these other people put money into but wanted to be a part of out of their 32.4 billion dollars you know they contributed some money to this fund as well uh you know for for the culture you know and it's 60 million dollars the next smallest fund they have and it's for seed. It's literally seed funding. So like the little teeny bit of money that new startups get is $400 million. Mm-hmm. The next one after the little 60 million that they doing for the culture. So it's just like, it's a, and, and every other fund, they have like 23 funds underneath their Andreessen umbrella, roughly, mm-hmm. um, approximately. They got 60 million for the culture. The next smallest one is $400 million. And then they all go up after that. And it's just like, like I said, and, and Kai, I'm looking at Kai, I'm 40 million is better than zero. I know this. I, I am aware that 40 million is better than nothing, but it, it just irks my soul mm-hmm. when we have to still sit here settling for the crumbs because mm. yes 40 million is better than nothing but 40 million ain't nowhere near 400 million and it definitely ain't nowhere near a billion and it definitely ain't nowhere near let's see their Andreessen's crypto fund is at 4.5 billion right now no. so yeah, it's just like do crypto, you don't even right. know what to do and, and, and you don't even know what's happening with crypto crypto is still ephemeral as fake money you know what I mean? And and so the idea that you would throw $4.5 billion behind crypto or $400 million for seed money for startups that don't even have a minimum viable product yet. But you only got 60 for the culture with products that have already been proved because I know even even not knowing what's in that fund. I know that those businesses are already making money because black businesses don't get money until they already making money. You know what I'm saying? We don't even get the meeting. Until we already making money and got a full pitch deck and, and a year's worth of runway and, and a minimum viable product and every other thing that full fledged companies that are already raising series A, B's and C's already got to get this little bit of money. So I know they're already making money. I know they're already viable companies, but you telling me seed companies mm-hmm. that ain't even done with their pitch deck yet get access to 400 million dollars 
and we gotta be happy about 40 million like then, come on man come on and then i wonder like let's just say let's just say we started we us three we did a startup and we applied for this um particular fund and we got it i wonder if uh andreessen would then be like oh okay oh man congratulations Let's 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 put you in this other category with this other four hundred million seed. They gonna Are be like, you moving us over, right? Right. From the gonna sixty be like, oh. to the four hundred. Right. Right. My guess is they're gonna be like, oh yeah, y'all did good. All right. Let me know how that works out for you. <laughs> Here's um, your cultural leadership fund money. You know, ha- make that work. And it's just like I said, I I I I don't have a solution um, because you know I don't know no black folks with thirty two point four billion dollars or the or the capacity to raise that much money. Um, and if there are, the holla at your girl. Like seriously, um, you know, Robert, what's his last name? The boy that paid Morehouse's bill or whatever. I don't, I don't know. I don't know what the solution yeah. to this is, but like, you know, I just felt compelled to say something about the fact that we continue to highlight and celebrate and we need to continue to highlight and celebrate. However, you know the 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 the, the mismatch and the level of in 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 inequality and in inequity is just so glaring and so obvious and so disrespectful at this point you know i i i just felt like i had to say something i don't know one of the points that i tried to make and I, and I ho- hopefully it came across last week when we talked about this is that a solution is that when you look at black founders as founders and you look at back black businesses as businesses. So when we look at this here, uh, you know, and like I said, I'm, you know, I'm not looking this gift horse in the mouth. It's 60 million dollars. that was not there before or, uh, or I'm sorry, 40, you know, eventually 40 million dollars. that was not there before. So I'm assuming that the people who this would, would ultimately go to, that's going to help them out an awful lot. So I'm you know, I'm, I'm not knocking that. but. It is the HBCU Founders Fund, something other. It's like if you went to an HBCU, we're going to look at we're going to set this aside, you know, this money aside. And I know that some folks are probably listening and saying, well, well, you, you can't win for losing, you know, you know, with this or like, you know, what are these companies supposed to do? And it really just comes down to as long as black businesses, as long as black founders are looked at something as other And and you can categorize them off. It's like, oh, well, we're going to go set this money aside specifically for these black businesses. And then the other money is for not black businesses. Now, now clearly that's not the case, but it kind of is. If that's, you know, if we're only getting 1% of that pot or or barely even that, it kind of is the case. So, um, like I said, I wanted to highlight this because, you know, we kind of went off on just the funding industry at large last week. It's like, oh, well, here, here's one that just popped up, that, you know, on my news now. But it is. This is an other. It is that if you are in this diversity group, then we're going to throw uh, significantly less money at you than we would throw at literally every other type of company. But the right. fact that it's even almost impossible for us to get this it, yeah. it makes sense to, you know, to at least say, well, he, you know, here is Costco. Here is next uh, next cube. They are doing something. I get it. Like I said, I, 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 I don't I, the solution to this is not to not give HBCU fund founders 40 million dollars. That's not the solution. Mm-hmm. But like I said, when you got a 400 million dollar seed fund, 
where these founders, like I said, who, who, who ain't even got their whole pitch deck done are, are getting access to half a million dollars, you know, a million dollars, three million dollars, whatever. And this is barely kicking HBCU founders a hundred because, because they're only getting $120,000 each. They're getting grants of $120,000. The fund will be 40 million, but the individual, you know, award is only going to be like 120k which ain't even going to keep the lights on for two years you know what i'm saying Mm -hmm. like it just it 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 just it it becomes it it starts to feel disrespectful at some point before we move on i do want to actually give props to next cube though because that's this is what they do they actually are you know they're looking for the i'm doing the air quotes for the folks who can't see me right now the diversity type companies to fund that's what they do um you know they're, they're they're not this big giant 32 billion dollar in the pot fund that's doing all these things so i so i do want to you know you know give them that because like i said it's 60 million more but it just illustrates the issue that we talked about just last week here we are again it you know we we're we're looked at as something other and right now you in some cases you kind of have to be because it's like if if you're not looked at as something other then you just don't get anything it's like you know we're sitting here at one percent you're not getting anything so Um, let's move on into our next story. And we're not going to spend a lot of time on this. I just wanted to, I, I just, I just want to get y'all's takes on this. The iPhone rumors, uh, Terrence, last week we talked about the, uh, the folding iPad. This week, it sounds like there may be, and this is, once again, this is a unconfirmed rumor that there may be a higher end iPhone, an, an ultra iPhone, for a lack of better words, maybe in the works. So I wanted to get your take on that. Something that would be above, the like the pro max one terabyte which is i think that joint costs like sixteen hundred dollars um yeah if you max all the yeah the the storage i can only imagine this is going to be more than that can you are are there customers out there are there are there apple customers out there who are literally will pay two bands or close to it for iphone is that is that a big market for i don't doubt that somebody would be willing to pay that much for a high-end phone uh, the question is, of course, is it going to be worth that much? And then two, is this just a play at more money or is this a legitimate? Will will Apple make a legitimate argument as to why this is necessary all the way back? I don't think this is going to happen. I think they were just having a conversation. I think Tim Cook was having a a conversation about pricing and phones. And his quote was in the story is. I think people are willing to really stretch to get the best they can afford in that category. Uh, noting that the iPhone has become in, integral, in, integral, integral, yeah, integral, integral, either way, either way. Yeah. Uh, consumers now use device to make payments, yada, yada, yada. So I think for that, people gleaned and said, oh, well, then if people were willing to spend more money, then. Apple's coming out with an iPhone Ultra that's going to, I don't know, um, do something, you know, and, and they already said, okay, well, since, uh, Apple did the Apple Watch Ultra, that is with the, you know, the Scott, the, the, the diver watch with the SOS calling and the, the alarm and <laughs> all that things like, well, maybe we can make a phone that has a, you know, a rugged, um, I'm just guessing, I'm just spitballing here. Uh, make a rugged iPhone with a scratch resistant um, 
waterproof up to 200 feet or whatever the case may be and see if people buy it. I mean, you know, they got money to, they got money to burn. You know, I think also maybe because word on the street is the iPhone 14 and the 14 Pro Max aren't, um, even though it's selling like hotcakes, it ain't selling like as it compared to previous releases. So maybe Apple is like, all right, well, um, iPhone 14 Pro Max, iPhone 15 Pro Max ain't enough. How about the iPhone 15 Ultra and see if people will spend a couple extra dollars so they can get that revenue that they're used to. But again, I don't, I think it's just people just, uh, these analysts just trying to run it up and see what kind of hits they can get. But that's just me. So <laughs> I think I'm going to hop back on a soapbox for two seconds, two seconds. Um, and it actually, it could have been, I think it, the way I sort of interpreted that part you just read, Terrence, was, was in, in the larger context of a couple more sentences, uh, before that, that I want to read that, that I, that made me, made my spidey senses go off. It said, Cook was fielding a question about whether our, the iPhone's rising average sales price was sustainable. After all, top of the line model that cost $1,150 in 2017 now fetches $1,600. His response, the price increase is no problem. In fact, consumers could probably be persuaded to spend more. I think people are willing to really stretch to get the best they can to afford in that category. And that's what you just read. So when you take that part of that statement before that, I mean, he didn't actually say the price increase is no problem, but the way they put that in that context and then added his quote afterwards I started getting in my feelings because that just sounded like a very elitist statement and out of touch statement to make when people are struggling right now. I mean, I really was feeling, I was like, oh, wait a minute, Tim Cook. I know you ain't out here talking about we just going to squeeze the average person to get as much money as we can for, for a phone. You know what I mean? And, and it just, it just made me feel some kind of way, um, without, having any real measurable reason to do so besides we can get it. So we going to try to get it. You know what I mean? And, and, and that would be a huge problem for me. You know, I don't, I obviously ain't inside Tim Cook's head. So I don't know if, you know, that part of the, the, the story about the price increase not being a problem was the author's thoughts about what he said and and not his own um but i think either way you know he's he's at least on a line here tiptoeing tap dancing on a line where you don't need to just be jacking the price up just because i mean i understand throwing your m1 chip in there is going to make it more expensive and doing all the other things is going to make it more expensive but at the end of the day the phone still ain't a replacement for a laptop. So why does it cost the same? You know what I mean? So, and, and then the idea that you just going to keep charging people more money because you can get away with it. It just, that's not, that's just not cool. When we, when we talk about sustainability and, and people that can't afford these types of things and different things like that. So I really, like I said, I really felt some kind of way, you know, just reading that snippet. Although I realize it can be interpreted a couple different ways. So, I, I get everything that you're saying. Um, I don't know Tim Cook. I don't, you know, at all. Never met him, never been near him or anything like that. But I would imagine that he, like many other CEOs, is going to try to figure out ways how to maximize share value or shareholder value. So if they're looking at the, uh, you know, the, the Pro Max one terabyte model, it's like we didn't have any problem selling the $1,600 phone. 
can we put something else? Can, can you know, can we put a site to site transport? I, I don't know what the new feature would be in a, you know, a, you know, a pro max ultra that would be, that would not be in the pro max, but if they can put something else in there and people uh, flock to it and buy it, you you're not, you're not talking about an $1,800 phone, $2,000, like I said, two bands for, for a phone seems kind of ridiculous to me, but, um, you know, I, I, you know, I, I have a phone in my pocket that I spent the grand for, and people probably say that that, you know, sounds kind of uh, ridiculous as well. Um, and, and just, you know, it, it'll be interesting to see, like I said, this is just a rumor. So like I said, we, we talked about a couple of rumors last week, so I wanted to throw it in there, but I just, you know, like I'm not an iPhone person. There is no way on earth that I would use, that I would spend that kind of money on a Samsung phone. And we're actually going to talk about Samsung a little bit here. Uh, so, so moving into this, uh, you know, this next story, uh, Samsung unpacked event was last Wednesday. I sat down and watched it, it was about an hour event, unlike Apple's event a few weeks back. This was live and in person. So they had people coming up on stage and talking and doing this and doing that. And the gist of the hour is that there are three new iterations to the Galaxy S line. You've got the Galaxy S23, the S23 Plus, the S23 Ultra. And each one of these phones, the big to do about the phone is that they have Significant, I don't significantly, they, they have improved cameras. The cameras that they have in them are better than the cameras than they had before. How do we know this? They literally spent an, a half hour of that 60 minutes talking about camera stuff and, to, you know, and literally folks like Ridley Scott, you know, the, the you know, the famous director, right. you know, actually directing movies that are using Samsung Galaxy S23 Ultras uh, to shoot the movie. And that was all fine and cool. I'm one of those kind of people. All you, you, the only need you need to get a new phone is that you want one. If you want one and you got the money, go get it. That's the only, um, I I don't like when people, you don't need that phone. It's like, it's not about whether I needed it or not. I wanted that. That was the need. So I will not tell anybody who says, Oh, I want that new phone. Don't go get it. What I will say is that if you, I have an S 22, Unless you are looking for all the new camera stuff that is in the S23, I don't think there's a real reason to get the new phone. And I don't even know that Samsung thinks that there's a real reason for you to get the phone if, you, if you're not interested in all the new camera stuff. For a couple of reasons, Earth is kind of upset with Samsung because Samsung has been, for the last few years, I think the last couple of years, they have been giving you ridiculous trade-in value on older devices. You still get pretty good trade in value, but it's not like what you were getting before to where you literally could buy a new phone this year, turn it in next year and like spend two hundred dollars and you have the next, you know, the next line of the phone. That is no longer the case. And then also all the software updates or I should say many of the software updates are definitely coming to the S22, but also the S21 and even the S20. Uh, which those those devices are significantly less expensive when you buy them at this point, but you're going to get the same level of software. So I don't really think that the phone was this revolutionary change. It's just it's basically just it's it's a little bit better than the one that came out before. The camera may be a little bit more better, uh, you know, more better, a little bit more better than the phone that came out before that. So just to give you uh, you know some numbers, the uh, the, the S23 
is uh, coming in at seven ninety nine S twenty three plus nine ninety nine the S twenty three Ultra. That is the you know the the really big one with the stylus. It replaced the Note that we are uh, you know that I I used to know and love a few years back. That one's coming in at eleven ninety nine. At the Samsung event, they also announced three new books: uh, the Galaxy Book Three Pro which is at 1449, the Galaxy Book 3 Pro 360, which is at 1899, and the Galaxy Book 3 Ultra, which is at 2399. And I'd have to actually play, see benchmarks, uh, you know, understand to really understand what these uh, laptops can do. They do we look- know what kind of chip those laptops are running on? Um I'm just curious. I mean, I wasn't trying to put you on the spot. I thought I, it might be in there, but I don't see it. I did not. I, I want to say that they're using like the latest, um, you know, um, like latest Intel, the, the latest Intel. I have this, the stats. I just don't have them right here in front of me. I did. I did not pull yeah. those up. Um, okay. but it, it, it looks basically like any high end Dell would be using any high end, you know, Lenovo or anything mm-hmm. like that. It looks like mm-hmm. a perfectly good laptop. In fact, so the, they don't do their own chips. Like, um, no, like the, Apple yeah, these, these are these these are definitely okay. Intel. This is this is Intel chips. Okay. So the thing okay. about the laptops, more so than the, the specs, was what it really looks like is that Samsung is saying we have a lot of people who have our phones, we have a few people who have our tablets, we have a lot of people who have our watch, we have a lot of people who have our earbuds. We're trying to, if you are in our ecosystem, we're trying to make everything play with each other. It gave me the very Apple. Apple-y feel to their stuff. So some cool things from a software standpoint, you just sit your phone, you know, you get this brand new Galaxy S23, you just sit your phone down next to your laptop and it automatically pairs so you can use it for Wi-Fi hotspot. Just cool mm-hmm. things. Just like, you know, it, it saves you the 12 seconds of having to actually turn it on on your phone and then connect, you know, th- those type of things. So it was just everything just looked like it works with each other. The event, it looks like they're trying to say, yes, you can actually use these devices to be a creator. Um, that was, uh, you know, k- kind of to do in it, but they didn't really spend a lot of time. Like m- most of this event, this Galaxy Unpacked event was literally telling you about how cool the cameras are and that you can shoot a Ridley Scott type feature film if you right. take that $1,100 camera and sit it inside of, of, of millions of dollars worth of equipment to actually shoot movies with. Basically. Exactly. Right. Lighting. Yeah. I'll tell you right. what. Right. Whoever did the color grade on, you know, on this stuff, they deserve an award. It looked absolutely gorgeous and beautiful. Um, you know, the, the color grade that they were doing. So it's kind of, yeah, the phone can do it, but you still, you know, you, you, you got to go down to the, uh, you know, the movies are us lot and rent millions of dollars worth of equipment to put that in there. I actually noticed one thing. There was an ND filter that was attached to one of the Samsung phones, that ND filter is like $2,300 by itself. Just the cover to go over the lens is like $2,300. So yeah, you can do some really, really cool things with the camera. Most people aren't going to do those really, really cool things with the camera. So for me, they had to spend that much time on the phone because this this attempt at creating a Samsung ecosystem um, is is most likely... (laughs) 
going to fall flat. I mean, I, I don't know, but I don't, I don't see a ton of people running out to buy, you know, ain't that many people buying those, those tablets as it is. Um, I definitely don't see a ton of people running out to buy these, these laptops. Um, I, I, I applaud them for trying. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. nothing beats a fail, but a try. Uh, but I think they knew where they needed to, you know, spend the most time, you know, where their, where their bread is getting buttered. So, um, it kind of makes sense that they would have, uh, you know, used a lot of smoke and mirrors quite literally to, to try to oversell what the, what the phone's capability might be. Um, and, and, and I think they may, they probably could have spent a little more time on, on these laptops if in fact they're trying to create this ecosystem. However, if you don't have the, um, customizations, I guess, if you will, that an Apple has, if you run in these laptops on regular ass Intel and AMD chips without a Samsung OS, why would I buy it? So I just, I just think they, you know, I think they are, they're throwing some stuff against the wall to see what sticks and, and, and trying to convince people that they're creating an Apple-esque ecosystem Mm -hmm. when they're really not. Um, But it'll be curious to see if people fall for it. So I don't even think they were trying to build an Apple S ecosystem. What they were trying to do is create a Apple esque line of devices. And what I mean by that is when the pixels, Google pixel sixes, I think came out Google. Well, let me back up. Apple has always made a big fuss about how beautiful their cameras are and how dope your videos and photos are going to be if they're taking on an iPhone, right? Then Google Pixel comes out and says, oh, we've got wonderful cameras too. And they added all these extra features. Uh, the popular one in the commercials, right? Where you can circle around somebody in the background mm-hmm. and delete them. You know, all those gadgetry things that people, you know, consumers would be like, ooh, that would make me want to buy a Pixel if I take a picture and somebody is photobombed me, I, or they've got some random thing in artifact in the background, I can take that out, right? Uh, I think Samsung is like, oh, we need to catch up with our polish. So we need to spend some time on how wonderful our cameras are and then have their own tricks to where somebody will say, ooh, let me go buy a Samsung phone. When in reality, all three of them, Apple, Google, Samsung, it's like they have to sell you on these new features to keep you coming back. And uh, Samsung, um, they did it, but not to this level. Like like Rob mentioned, this was live and in person, you know. And they all kind of you know follow that 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 um, trend that Apple started as far as their presentations go. So I just think this is Samsung catching up with Apple as far as the polish and the the types of things they announce and the way they announce them. You know, when in actuality, it's just a new phone that, you know, every year they come out or every year or so they come out with a new phone that, you know, Samsung's always done tablets. And now they're trying to do the the MacBook S thing with the Galaxy book. Right. Same thing with because Microsoft did it with the Surface book. And, you mm-hmm. know, the Samsung calls it now the Galaxy book. You know, they're, they're they're seeing what Apple and Microsoft are doing. Somebody says, oh, we need to get in that game as well. So this is yeah. Samsung getting into that game. And like I said, you know, this is not the first laptop. Samsung has been making laptops for years. 
Um, but there, as you say, Terrence, it's like, oh, let, let's, let's call it what everybody else is calling it. Let's make them super thin. They're pretty. They, they look really nice. But when it comes to a, you know, to an Intel based PC as a laptop, I want to see the benchmarks and how the thing runs. I would imagine it is actually probably pretty good. It's, it's, it's got good processor in it. It's got good memory in it. Good, you know, video card. It's got the same parts that you're going to see, as I said, in the Dells, you know, like an XPS line and the, you know, the, the, the high end Lenovo. It, it, it is a high end class of laptop. And they, they really are. It's like, okay, you could buy this laptop instead of buying a MacBook. You could buy this instead of buying a Dell XPS. I think that that's where, you know, these particular pieces of hardware are. But w- we'll see. As I said, you know, it w- this was for, you know, all in- intents and purposes. This was a phone launch. This was them launching their flagship phone, the S series. You know, the, these Galaxy phones are no joke. I have been using them for years. Uh, I, I prefer them. I've, I've had pretty much everything, but when it comes to Android, this is my favorite piece of hardware. I don't imagine that these phones are going to be anything worse than anything that I've seen before. I just don't know. I, I think that the, the updates are so iterative. It's just like, we made this a little better here. We made it a little better there. You probably can save yourself some money unless you are truly interested in the, the, the camera stuff, which seems like, it, you know, the camera, I've heard people say like the camera is 40% better than a previous camera. Well, that, that's not it. That, that's fairly substantial. But if you're not doing all of that crazy camera stuff, then you probably don't need to go with the S23. That like just, just a personal opinion there. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well... Hello Fresh is your guilt free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. So Thanks. Stephanie, you stuck this in at the at the last minute. I actually even before you stuck it in was reading this story uh, about Google, and we've been talking about basically since we've come back from our from our holiday hiatus about Chat GPT and all that kind of good stuff. Well, it looks like Google they they definitely are getting in the game. Not to say that they were ever out of it, but they're letting the world know that they're coming out with it. But they're doing it in such a Google way. Why are they calling this thing Bard? <laughs> I know like, that was the first thing I thought I was like first of all nobody's going to get that reference yeah. um what is the word I'm looking for um not obnoxious but that's not the word I'm looking for clever they're trying to be clever for. and it's like right and and it's just it's like first of all why the idea that Google wasn't first to this market is is a problem for Google anyway. Mm-hmm. Like you run the 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 world's largest search engine, you know, your AI 
already should be on the level of a chat GPT or beyond. So the idea that that y'all wouldn't have had the foresight to do this thing first in the first place um, really speaks to maybe how comfortable they've gotten, how, how far they've rested on their laurels, um, how, how little innovation is coming out of alphabet these days, you know, pick any one of those things, but, but Google should have been first with, with this whole idea from, from the gate. You know, so now to, to, to try to play catch up and, and you're, you're calling it, you know what I mean? Like you're, you're, you're doing too much Google, (laughs) you know what I mean? You, you doing a whole lot right now and, and you talking loud and really ain't saying nothing. And, and I don't know that, um, I mean, I, I suppose they'll figure out a way to maybe, you know, do the whole thing cheaper, make it more accessible to more people, something to that effect. But, you you start you already starting out the block you know with 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 a with way in the back and so it just I just I just was not impressed with with the idea that they would try so hard to make this this splashy announcement when they should have been the first ones making it you know in the first place. So here, here's my thoughts on this. And, I, and I've talked about this before. Pretentious. Uh, yes, Kayam. Thank you. Yes. Yeah, I'm looking at the chat. Yes, that is the word I was looking for. <laughs> That's exactly the word I was looking for. Um, <laughs> here's the thing. Google absolutely has been working on this, but Google has a problem that OpenAI doesn't have. If if you use chat GPT, it's like, oh, this it's actually pretty slick until you ask it questions that you know that is giving you the wrong answers and it gives it gives you those answers so assuredly and it's just because uh, when you think about how these large language models work they don't know anything it's basically predictive text so it's it's scanning the internet for all things scannable and using that to generate you know like you know I'm really bastardizing the technology on this because it is really if, if you go and you look at any videos where people are really explaining how these things work and how they do what they do it's quite impressive wh- where they have brought them and the speed that they've brought them you know to this point but the point i was making about google being different than open ai google can't afford to be wrong on this kind of stuff because that pushes you to an open AI because you'll, oh, well, well, they're the, they're the, the up and coming upstart. We're going to give them a pass on thinking that Trump won. You know, you can, you can literally make this thing, you know, you can make it think this thing at some point was thinking that Trump actually won the 2020 election. Um, it would give you answers like it absolutely happened. Why? Because there was so much social media that is scanned that was saying that he did that. That's right. what it was repeating based on how you ask questions. Google could never get away with that type of air out in the ether. So we've we've heard and we've talked about on this show before about about Lambda. That was the you know the AI that one of the Google employees actually thought was sentient because it's like I'm and having that's what, that's what Bard is based off of. Too, just FYI, exactly. So I think that both things, what I'm saying, Stephanie, and what you just said, are both true. How could Google allow? open AI to come out with this stuff first. And then also you can't be wrong. If you do come out with it first, you you cannot take those, well, you make those kind of mistakes. I, I get um, it. Google's a battleship. Yeah. They can't turn on a yeah. dime. You but, know, open AI what, is still a very nimble, you know, mm-hmm. startup type company um, where they can make, like you said, they can break things, fail fast, fail forward, all that, all that awesome, awful 
tech, you know, colloquialisms. Um, I, I get it. I get mm. it. But, but I think they really lost something, um, in not being first. I, oh. I, I, I would have rather them been first and wrong, um, than trying to pull up the rear on the back end with, with this, you know, and, and, and granted, I don't, I haven't, tested Bard. I don't know if it's going to work better or, or worse or if it's going to completely overtake chat GPT because it works so much better uh, than their platform. But um, so it remains to be seen. It, it was just curious to me that they that they wouldn't have, um, you know, tried to get this out. Especially if, now, especially if chat GPT is searching Google. <laughs> <Makes sense. laughs> Right. Like, Yo, ChatGPT got added to Bing they, uh, yeah. because Microsoft threw all that money behind it. I was just like, uh-huh. "Here's a who's gonna who's gonna tell Microsoft that nobody uses Bing?" Here's a billion. <laughs> How about ten billion? It's like no, Microsoft is putting us in everything. It's uh, it's they're like, putting who's gonna who's gonna tell them? Um, what, what was the thing? I can't even think of the name of it that replaced Microsoft Teams. The re- I was gonna say they replaced uh, uh, Skype, but uh, yeah, Microsoft Teams. They're putting it in that. Microsoft is putting this in everything. Um, so they, they was like, we we back in it. We 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 can get back into the search game. Uh, they're they're not messing around. My thought tells me because we we, we talked about this a few shows back, where Google said that they are in code red over this. Because Stephanie, I think they are thinking what you thought. There's no way on earth we should have let this little company, OpenAI, come out with what they have when we know what we have working in the back room. So what OpenAI is about to experience is a company that has $60, $70 billion of gold bullion just sitting out in the back. And it's like, and they're throwing that money at trying to make this thing be really, really good. Well, I'm still, all this is like new. And I think. I don't want to say chat GPT is jumping a gun and I don't want to say uh, Google's Bard is jumping the gun as well. But I think they possibly are rushing to announce their thing as well, just to kind of capitalize on the it factor. Well, you got it. You have to. Yeah, absolutely. Um, But again, same thing. And we talked about it before, you know, is there a, a a actual use case yes. <laughs> beyond cheating on your your high school history paper? <laughs> right, right. What is the thing that people are going to say? Oh, that's what this is for, right? Mm-hmm. I think everybody's kind of like, oh, this thing is new, and you can do it for this and this, and try this and do this cool thing, and you know, cheat like you said, cheat on your term paper, and you know, write a book. And right, you know, we talked about the, the, did we talk about the guy that wrote this children's book? I think we talked yeah, about that. Yeah. We you did. know, write a children's book and, you know, uh, well, it actually too posts. just, uh, Chat GPT just passed interviews at three different companies. Um, like they're coding the coding portion of mm-hmm. the interviews at three different companies. Um, so, you know, people will be doing it doing that too i get what you're saying though like how is this going to change society in a way that justifies the money that's being spent on it and the attention we're giving it so soon it's like like you said this popped up in the late fall of 2020 november 30th now mm-hmm. now billions are being thrown around and it's just like man can yeah. we slow down before y'all 
accidentally make Skynet, please? Right. Slow down. Yeah. <laughs> that, that, that is, that, that is a problem. So this is not Skynet. But man, it's it's getting close. You, 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 Listen, you, because with the money they throwing at it, like it could be that you know, and you got that. What is that? Uh, uh, not parabolic, but exponential thing about how fast hockey stick, things, hockey stick, yeah, curve. yeah. Um, uh, so it's just like you know, it, it it's not that far out of the realm of possibility um, to think that these computers and, and, and this AI could reach some level, some level of sentience sooner rather than later. So, so here's where I think Google is going to take this, that open AI can't right now. Google has millions of little speakers in people's house. They have tens of millions of speakers on people's, you know, maybe even hundreds of millions on people's phone where you can literally talk to your phone mm-hmm. and it's really cool right now. I use Google assistant in my house fairly regularly. I use it on my phone all the time. I don't really type questions into Google anymore. I hit the microphone. I just ask it and it, and it spits something back out to me and gives me the ability to click on, Oh, I want this result. I want that result. I want this result where I think we're Google and what you're going to see, you know, in, in short form, I think you're going to see this in the next, you know, probably 18 months is that you're going to be talking to your phone and your phone's just going to talk back to you. Um, as though it were a person, um, because when you when you look at how I'm sorry, yeah, you know, exactly. Listen, I would pay for a Jarvis. I'm not gonna lie, I would pay for a Jarvis. Here is you know, and and I've been saying this since I first saw Chat GPT. I I was one of the first million people that down. I I downloaded and installed, you know, the OpenAI thing back. Um, I want to say it might have been the first of December. And it took them, it only took them five days to get to a million. Well, I was, I was one of them and I'm looking at this thing and it's like, it, it, it immediately reminded me of Jordy LaForge talking to the computer in the engineering room or anybody on the bridge of the Star Trek enterprise and, you know, in TNG, the next generation talking to the computer and the computer just talks back. Um, it's not a person. You can tell that the computer is not a person, but it is giving you information as though you were talking to a person. And it's, you know, it's easy to understand that computer breaks things down for you and makes you doing the things that you're trying to do easier. And that's kind of where I envision this going to where you're going to start talking to an assistant and the assistant from an AI standpoint is simply going to just start talking back to you, giving you the answers that you need. Uh, you know, I like, I mean, like right now, I mean, you, you, you're in your car. We can already do some things like this, you know, show me restaurants, you know, near me and, it, and it'll pull up. And it's like, but when you say, what about if you were to say something like this, you know, I'm really looking for a good Italian restaurant. You got any recommendations? Oh yeah. This Italian restaurant. And it just gives you some information. Oh yeah. They just want an award for this. That That is a different type of conversation than what, you know, Google is doing right now in just its search. And you don't really want to read that, but you would be more than happy to listen to that 30 second conversation. And I have a conversation about it. Exactly. I think that that's where ultimately chat GPT is going. I think that's where Google is going with Bard. Once again, I don't know why they named it that, but (laughs) it is. I think that that's what we're going to see. Pretentious. And this. (laughs) Thank uh, you, Wayne. Thank you, Kayam. They wanted to be pretentious. This genie is not going back into that bottle yeah no. i don't know when, when I, we'll see uh because uh, 
is it chat GPT, uh, just dropped a subscription model. Rob, you mentioned mm-hmm. you were the first people to download the software. Are you going to be the first people? Oh, to drop heck that? no. No, okay. I'm not spending money on it. So, so, so th- th- there, there's a difference. I'm, I'm not, I'm not ready to spend money on it yet. And I find, I find the free version, you, you know, somewhat useful, but it's not so useful that I'm willing to go spend the money on it yet. Once they get it together, though, I would spend money for Jarvis. Now, you, you, you threw Jarvis yes, out there. Yes, I would spend money for Jarvis. It, it's like, it's if, not if it, that if it yet. Work like it's supposed to. And once, once we get to that point. I would spend a little bit of money if for Jarvis. It, now, like I said, if if th- that's what it was, I still have to type out my questions to chat GPT. And then I got to read them when it, you know, when it answers, if I could just talk to my speaker and then it talked back and then I can say, print that out for me or send that to my screen. If if I could do those kind of things, that might be worth the, uh, I think, what is it? $20 a month for the, uh, the, well, the, 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 the membership today they're trying to do. <laughs> but yeah, I definitely, I definitely would, would, you know, I would pay for that. Yeah. So y'all, I wanted to get into this last story here and it's, it's kind of a weird one because uh, the U S uh, you know, I was looking at the uh, labor statistics we added here in the United States, 520,000 jobs roughly last month. But the big tech companies are laying off seemingly at an increasing rate. Just today, as we're recording this on the 6th of February, Dell this morning announced that it is cutting 6,650 jobs amid slumping PC sales. Here's my question for you. Would either of you two care to guess who is being most affected by all these big tech layoffs? Can you guess? (laughs) Can you guess? (laughs) So, yeah, big tech layoffs are reversing diversity gains. No big shock to us because it's basically it's one of, until Black History Month. Do it, <laughs> it literally. Um, so we're reversing all of these gains, and you know, women and minorities are particularly vulnerable to the layoffs. And one of the big reasons is because when you think about a lot of the new jobs, you know, there, there were a lot. There was a lot of diversity gains in tech over the pandemic. But when you look at a lot of those new tech jobs, they weren't necessarily technical. There was a lot of folks who went into marketing. There was a lot of mm-hmm. at tech companies. There's a lot of folks who went into HR at tech companies. There was a lot of folks who went into project management at tech companies. That's getting a little bit more technical, but still not necessarily touching code. Those are the jobs that these organizations have decided that, well, we can do without these right now when we need to make the cuts. So, you know, where they are not touching, they're not touching the engineers. They're not touching the people who actually are coming up with the tech that's being sold. They're, they're not necessarily touching that many of the salespeople, but they're touching these non-tech jobs. And that is, you know, one of the issues that we're seeing um, just because all you know, as far as all these tech gains that we've made, a lot of these tech roles weren't technical jobs. Well, we talked about this the week before last we've when talk, I was on. We've here. talked the about this that, for the last eighteen months. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The fact that, you know, like no shade because this was a a quick way to get a bag when when everybody was hyped and you know George Floyd happened and and everybody changed their social media square to black and committed to being better and doing better. And, 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 and I wasn't mad. I mean, I'm not mad at nobody getting a bag, but (laughs) you know, STEM and tech are two different things. You know what I mean? And, and, and people weren't really 
giving the the proper recognition and and put some respect on my on my stem name up in the up in these streets uh because yeah you you can get a job in tech and make six figures or whatever but when things like this happen and you know you're back without a job again you you can't really be mad and i don't know that you can even necessarily you know blame that on on anything in particular either because what did you expect honestly like when you and 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 if you have the opportunity i'll say that if you have the opportunity because i i i understand the privilege uh of of being able to to get a technical degree and and even to have the capacity to absorb that type of information is not something everybody can do i i get it i get i struggle shit engineering's hard um mm-hmm. but <laughs> you know like let's not act like the sky is falling when it's not, you know, if you really truly want a quote unquote career in tech, think about becoming a STEM professional, not, you know, HR, HR people aren't STEM professionals. They're not, you know, marketing people aren't STEM professionals. They're not, you know, the either, even user UX and UI, those people aren't STEM professionals. You know, if you want a sustainable job in tech, think about, I'm just saying, think about it. And like I said, it ain't for everybody. Everybody's not going to be able to do it. But if you if you want that quote unquote good job and you want a sustainable job in tech, think about becoming and studying to become a STEM professional and not just trying to get a job in tech because that's where the bag is. And I'm going to just drop the mic on that one. <laughs> well, I mean, it's just... Um... Are we surprised that now that things have settled down, that all of these opportunities, all of these resources, all of these jobs that these companies committed to in the wake of, like you mentioned, Stephanie, George Floyd and um, the uh, resurgence of Black Lives Matter and the specifically the diverse, the diversity, uh, equity and inclusion thing, all those things just came out of nowhere Is anybody surprised that they're now kind of fading away? No. Because, I mean, these are corporations and they're going to do what's best for them at that moment in time. Now, at that moment in time is not three years from now and it ain't three years ago. It's at this moment in time. So for the fact this is not surprising, you know, and again, like we mentioned, you know, when. My folks catch a flu, catch a cold. We catch pneumonia or the flu. I think right. it's pneumonia. Is it pneumonia or is it the flu? Either when, way, when they catch we, a cold, we get the flu right. or pneumonia. Yeah, right, 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 right. <laughs> so um, the fact that they're going back to the way things were because you know things, you know, post COVID. Even though I know there are still people catching COVID, I know there's still people who suffer uh, with the long term effects of COVID, if not have passed recently. You know, um, but we're, we're, I think everybody's back to this or trying to get back to this sense of normality. <laughs> you better believe these corporations are like that. Right. <laughs> well, here's, right. The, here's yeah. the other thing, too. So we so, get rid of these people, and get back to normal. <laughs> uh, uh, here's a big thing that happens when, when companies lay off. It's first in, last out. That, 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 that has never changed. Mm-hmm. So if you have a bunch of folks who have been at a place for years, 
and they know how everything operates and you've got a bunch of new people who have been there 18 months to you. The, the person has been even if the jobs are relatively the same, the person has been there for a long time has been doing it. If they are actively good at doing their job and they've got more seniority, their chances of sticking around are just going to be higher than someone who's just been there 18 months, two years. That 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 is that is just how things are, are you know, are going to work. It's different if the person has been there two years is way better than the person has been there 10. But generally, you know, all things being equal, seniority is going to help you stick around a little bit longer. The other thing, and, and I want I want to bring this out because uh, another thing that I had linked in this story was that this is actually getting worse. So there there are some studies out here, and it says without substantial inter- substantial interventions, things could get substantially worse by twenty. 20- 32. So the black tech wage gap is projected to jump 37% in the next decade. That's jumping 37% from where it is right now. So when you think about, you know, black folks in tech, it's we're about 8%. We're we're just under 13% of the total population. So it's now saying that it's going to jump 37% in the next decade. That is opportunity as far as I see it. You know, I'm looking at some of this uh, n- numbers here. It says it's going to result in a $51.3 billion uh, lost in wages for black workers, you know, each year, according to this report. Um, technology jobs across sectors are projected to increase substantially by 2032, going up about 14%, but those gains won't evenly be distributed. Black tech talent is only projected to grow at 8%. So, I look at that and I'm reminded of something. I think this was Oprah who said this. She says that luck is preparation meeting opportunity. I say, well, let's get lucky. You know, I think that was lucky. I think that was Oprah who said that. I feel like that's been said. Well, you know I think Oprah I, probably well, made it popular, but I'm like, well, well, no, no. So I, I think don't know if I'm over for that I think, one. I, I, well, no, I think she, like she said it. Back. Or, or some old white coach from back in the day. No, no, no. So, I, so the, ori- the original quote, and this is one of my favorite quotes, I think it goes all the way back Thank to you, uh, Whitney Young Jr. Back, you know, he said this back in like 59 or 60 or something like that, that uh, it's better to be prepared for an opportunity and not have one than to have an opportunity and not be prepared. So what Oprah is saying is kind of a mashup or a, a rephrasing of that. So I'm saying, let's just get, you know, let's just get lucky. If, if, if we know that these jobs are there, you can prepare today for, for what's coming. Cause you know, I keep seeing a lot of folks, they see all these folks getting laid off. I don't want to go into tech. If, if all it takes is for you to see a blip in the market over three or four months of a lot of people being laid off in an industry that every article, every pamphlet, every paper, every website that you read tells you how many jobs are available and how many people are able to, you know, to, to actually fill those jobs today. Um, you know, and then you look at where that number is going to be in five years, 10 years from now. And that's, you know, but you see people getting laid off in the moment. Well, I'm not going to even go there. Maybe you shouldn't have been there in the first place. I'm not trying to appreciate anybody, but I, I am saying it's like technology is changing the world. You better get with it. And when you do, if you do, it can, you know, it, it can change your life for the better. That's, that's for just them um, yeah. <laughs> um, could these numbers also be attributed to uh, black folks specifically deciding to start their own businesses and to become engineers and to maybe even become, I don't know, content creators? What I mean by that is uh, the numbers are um, there's a, a um, the numbers are starting to widen maybe there because I know. 
a bunch of entrepreneurs, a bunch of small business owners don't have nothing to do with technology. So maybe there are some people who are getting out of the corporate game in general as it relates to do I need to go have a job or do I need to start this uh, Shopify website or do I need to, you know, uh, make these cookies, you know, or do I need to, you know, make these headbands or these scarves or this lotion? You know, there are I would I would be interested to see this these numbers correlated against or juxtaposed against the number of black owned businesses that have uh, popped up at the same amount of time. That would be a good metric. I mean, I think especially when you look at black woman owned businesses, you know, we start them like every two seconds or, or something like that. So it just, it definitely, you know, that, that probably could account for some of, you know, I'm kind not of saying it's a match. Little bit. Yeah, I'd be yeah. interested for, for to see, a little bit, you know, I was also interested in um, a Stanford professor actually talked about the idea because because we're, you know, to your point, Rob, that we're going to see, you know, this kind of get worse. We're also going to see it spilling over into other industries as well um, beyond the tech space. But um, I I found it really interesting that there was a a Stanford professor, Jeffrey Pfeffer, um, who basically said that this kind of all boils down to copycat behavior and and what he called a social contagion. You know, Meta was the first company to to start layoffs and and everybody else just kind of jumped on the bandwagon, whether they actually needed to or not. Um, They did it because, well, if Meta's doing it, then they must see something we don't see. They must know something we don't know. So so let's just do it just in case Um, it, it be it ends up being the right thing to do as far as layoffs go. So um, it, it was interesting that that he kind of sort of chalked this all up to the game, basically, and everybody else wanting to wanting to jump on a bandwagon that that wasn't even necessarily there, oh. which mm-hmm. doesn't bode well for our economy. At I, all. I completely and wholeheartedly agree with that, because I think that a lot you would need to show me a lot of information and I'm probably not going to take the time to consume because I just believe this in my heart that many of these layoffs are just because companies could. It's like, you know what? Meta needed to do it. They did it and took the heat. Now the heat ain't. If now everybody else can say, "Well, look Meta did. Meta did it. Clearly Google did it." Coming, yeah, it, you know it, exactly. Mm-hmm. So I think that a great many of these tech layoffs, and once again, you know, I I don't want to talk about these as though they are not people. I feel for everyone who has lost their job for no fault of their own. That That, that is, even as a man, that's a hard thing to do. You got to go tell somebody that they're no longer employed, not because they did anything wrong, just because the company is going in a different direction or the company is trying to, they'll, they'll call it right size and stuff like that. You know, um, that, that just, you know, I, I feel for those folks. That being said, um, a lot of these companies, they're just like, you know what? We don't got to take the heat for doing it because the heat was taken by another company. So we're just going to go ahead and do these things. We was already thinking about, do we have to lay these folks off? We don't have to, but you know what? If we lay them off, we don't got to pay them. Um, I've read article. I've read at least three different articles that said 
a lot of these layoffs aren't even helping the company's bottom line. It's not even mm-hmm. helping them because that would, that's always the argument they make. We needed mm-hmm. to reduce workforce in order to increase profit, profitability and yada, yada, yada. But I've read at least three articles that said the layoffs aren't even helping that, mm-hmm. you know? And so it's just, it, 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 it really does just become a matter of, um, we don't, want to think for ourselves and we don't want to be the odd man looking like the odd man out. So if everybody else is doing it, we better do it Mm -hmm. too, which ain't never been good business um, in in any, you know, regard, much less in a capitalist society. Like, why are you, why are you doing stuff that actually is harming your bottom line at this point, Mm -hmm. just because you don't want to be left out of the, everybody's doing it trend. That that, that just doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah, I just, I I just want to leave with this point. Well, you know, what can be done? In this, like so right now, we're going through it. So, for people who are being laid off, it you know their their lives are fundamentally changing. But when you extrapolate this out over a year, over two years, over five years, over ten, the the numbers are quite clear. There are not enough qualified tech workers uh, to meet the demand. And this isn't qualified black tech workers. This is basically qualified people to sit in between the seat and the keyboard. There just aren't enough of them. So this applies to black folks, to brown folks, to white folks, to Asian folks, to Native American folks. This applies to folks who have the skills to do the job. So just from, you know, from where I sit, and I think you guys, you know, you know, agree with this is that the opportunity is there. But Stephanie, you, you've been on this since we've started doing the show. STEM, 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 because, you know, and the difference you know, between having a job yeah. in tech and being a STEM professional. Exactly. There are two different things. There, there, there is a difference. Y'all, y'all got any final words on it? Mm-mm. Nope. Say it. What I say it. All right, y'all. I know we are long, but it's Black History Month. We, we can't we can't go without a spotlight during the month that we're supposed to be showcasing, showcasing, you know, black folks who have done stuff. We were talking about this person I'm going to highlight here uh, in our, or I should say spot shine our spotlight on um, because it just seems like we have probably talked about this person before because it's, it's a name that you've heard and you know, they, they've done a lot of things in tech, but I don't think we've actually talked about them on this show. So this week I'm going to highlight Dr. Clarence Skip Ellis. So let's see here. I want to see if we can add him to the screen, let people take a look at him. This week's spotlight shines on Dr. Clarence Skip Ellis, the first African-American to earn a Ph.D. in computer science back in 1969. Clarence Skip Ellis was born on May 11th, 1943. He got an early start to his computer career by getting a job working the graveyard shift at manufacturing firm Dover when he was only 15 years old. Although his job title was computer operator, his main duties were to walk around at night and be visible to prevent break-ins and to watch over but not touch the company's new computer. In Ellis's free time on the job, he read and reread dozens of computer manuals that came with the machine. He taught himself as much as possible about the machine without touching it. Two months after starting the job, Skip helped the company out during an emergency. They ran out of punch cards used to calculate payroll, and he was the only one who knew how to recycle used ones. Over time, Dover asked Skip to help out in more emergencies and eventually asked him to operate the computer. This experience ignited his passion for computing. 
Throughout high school, Skip was encouraged to attend summer programs at local universities around Chicago. He attended Beloit College in 1960 and in his junior year set up the school's first computer, an IBM 1620, and became the school's first computer lab director. Ellis would attend MIT for graduate school but only stayed a short time due to his civil rights activism. He would eventually continue his graduate studies at the University of Illinois Urbana-Champaign where he earned a PhD in computer science in 1969. Dr. Ellis went on to an illustrious career working for Bell Labs, becoming an associate professor in MIT, working on the first PC, the Alto, at Xerox Park at Stanford. Stanford and led the teams that first used icons on computer screens and used Ethernet for collaborating at distance. In 1992, Dr. Ellis became a full professor with tenure in the computer sciences department at the University of Colorado Boulder. In 2009, he became an emeritus professor and insisted on periodically teaching an introductory computing course to encourage students of all ethnicities to expand their horizons. In 2013, Dr. Ellis won a Fulbright scholarship to teach and perform research in the computer science department at Ashishi University in Ghana. On May 17, 2014, Dr. Ellis died suddenly from a pulmonary embolism on a flight returning from Ghana. And as I was telling you guys in the pre-show, they could do a movie on this, on, on this, you know, on this guy's life. Uh, the fact that at 15 years old, he's working as a computer operator. Think about that. He's like 15 year olds. Many companies, they would never, he would never be able to work in during the day. He was doing this stuff on the graveyard shift. I, I thought that was just kind of cool. And if you think about just how things were for black folks back during this time, he couldn't touch the computer until the computer broke and no one else knew how to fix it. Okay. Now you can go ahead and, and do what you do, get them out of the bind. You would think that that would get him, you know, to where they're going to allow him to start using it. No, it had to break a few more times when no one else could fix it. And okay, well, let's, let's let this kid, uh, you know, go ahead and have his shot at it. Yeah. Shout out, shout out for going to uh Beloit college. I went to, went to high school in Beloit, Wisconsin. So shout out to you for that, sir. So we're going to go ahead and just jump into um, the ending of the show. So Stephanie, why don't you go ahead and tell folks, how they can get at you. And you can find me all around the web at Tech Life Stuff. And you can find me on the internet at Brother Tech, B R O T H A T E C H. And I am at Rob Dunwood on all the things. And we are also at The Tech John, The Tech J A W N on all the things. So come holler at us online. I think we're uh, spending a little bit of time over on Twitter lately. So come hang out with us there. Until we meet again in a week's time. Peace. Peace. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.